0: A United Airlines Douglas DC-6B is on its way from New York to Seattle with stopovers in Chicago, Denver, and Portland. How did this plane explode over Longmont, Colorado?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
2: I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. I'm Sarah. This yeah. is mine and Nick's roommate. Yay. Hello. She listens to us record all the time, and now she actually gets to be a part of it. She's usually
1: <laughs> like always around, but never.
2: I've been uh,
3: impromptu on a
2: couple
0: episodes, I think.
1: Yeah. Kind of, in the background, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now she's actually here today.
0: Yay. Yeah. This is uh, thanks to Mike, our patron. This is another one of his recommendations.
1: Thanks, Mike. And actually, we really wanted to do this one, anyways. This one has literally been on the list like since the beginning. We just never really kind of knew when it was going to fa- fall because we had different plans with it, and
0: those plans fell through.
1: Those plans fell through, but that's okay because we want to have some fun with this, anyways. And this is also local.
2: Tis local, and we will be changing things up a little bit, which is part of why Sarah
0: is here. We are, Yay.
1: we are doing something completely new today.
0: Okay, so what are we covering today, Nick?
1: So today we are covering United Airlines Flight 629. This is an oldie. This happened on November 1st of 1955. Old, old, old. Yep. This was a Douglas DC-6B with the tail number November 37559. A DC-6 is a big giant quad prop piston airplane.
0: That doesn't sit very many people.
1: No, it doesn't seat very many people. (laughs) But They were very luxurious because it was 1955. And... These airplanes were, were definitely heavy use at the time. They were more capable than the, the smaller DC-4, and they were became very heavy use with some of the airlines. They became their, their flagship aircraft during the 40s and early 50s. And then jets started to come into the picture.
0: So is it a jet?
1: It is not. Oh. No, because it's this a piston a, airplane. This is a piston airplane.
0: Gotcha. Here, let me... it, it doesn't use the normal jet engines that we know jets to have now today. Commercial jets. Gotcha.
1: The captain for this flight was Lee H. Hall. He was 39 years old. He had accumulated 10,086 flying hours, of which 703 hours were on the DC-6B. 10,000 is quite a bit. He's pretty experienced.
2: Especially, I feel like, for that day and age.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. The first officer was Donald A. White. He was 26 years old, so pretty young. He had accumulated 3,578 hours. Of which, 1,062 were on the DC-6, so he actually had more experience on the airplane, but significantly less time overall. And then the flight engineer was Samuel F. Arthur. He was 38 years old, and he had accumulated a total of 1,995 hours, of which 336 were on the DC-6.
2: He was also qualified as first officer.
1: Yes, he was. That will be the crash crew. Okay. This flight was to be from LaGuardia in New York to Seattle with stopovers in Chicago, Denver, and Portland along the way. So, pretty long flight, especially in the DC-6. DC-6 was more powerful than DC-4, so it could cover time quite a bit quicker. You might remember the DC-4 from our Northwest flight that disappeared into the... Uh,
0: Michigan River. The Lake Michigan? Lake Michigan? Lake Michigan. Why did I say Michigan River? Into Lake Lord. Michigan.
1: And that, Lake airplane, Michigan. that airplane had to fly lower and slower than this airplane. This was actually a pressurized airplane.
0: However... It still didn't have the fuel efficiency as jets do nowadays. Oh, no. So I'm no, no, no. That's why they need so you're many talking stopovers.
1: About, you're talking about an airplane that has way more cylinders than your car. And I mean, each engine on its own has two, three, four times the cylinders of your car. So this is a radial engine. So in other words, the pistons were organized in a circle. Yes.
0: As you can see, I'll put a picture of this on the website. 18 cylinders. This was
1: an 18-cylinder engine.
0: Just one engine, and it had four. Wow.
1: Yep, it had four 18-cylinder engines. You can imagine this is also a maintenance nightmare. There's so many, so many unbelievably powerful moving parts on this airplane. And also, each one of these cylinders, you have to think, the cylinder on your car is, you know, it's about maybe four inches in diameter. Maybe. The cylinders on this would be way, way bigger. Usually... 8, 9, 10, 12 inches in diameter.
2: And the engine weighed 2,350 pounds.
3: So they
1: were also extremely heavy.
3: Um, Are they not normally in a circular form like that? So
1: in your car, there's a few... There's very rare occasions that they put radial engines in cars. Almost never, because it doesn't make much sense. It makes sense when it comes to turning a propeller because of the way radial engines operate. However, the pistons in your car are typically either in a V or a flat or a straight.
0: So our yeah. So if you see right there, yeah. Instead of it being yeah. all the way around, it's just straight.
1: Yeah, they're in a straight our line. most
3: plane engines in that circular kind of construction they propellers were, are.
1: They were back then. Most of them were. There was the occasional airplane that wasn't, i.e., the P fifty one. The P fifty one was a very powerful car engine, actually.
0: What? Oh, that just looks like a car engine. <laughs> that's
1: because essentially it was. It was it was a toned up car engine that was unbelievably packed with power. Okay. For the size of that airplane. But anyways, that's a small tangent. Interesting. Okay. So this airplane could be a maintenance nightmare. But they were also workhorses. I mean, they used these things like nobody's business. They were noisy. They were rattly. They were big.
0: Which, that's what happens to airplanes back then. Yep. Nowadays, they're not quite that bad.
1: Right. The flight was routine to Denver through Chicago, and it landed at 6.11 p.m. in Denver, 11 minutes late due to some ground delays at the previous stops. While at Denver, the plane was refueled with 3,400 gallons of fuel, and it was checked for the continued flight. So in other words, they just made sure there were not any major maintenance problems or anything before it continued on. No maintenance work was required or performed on the aircraft while it was on the ground in Denver. There were to be two, two two crew changes on this flight. One was to take place in Chicago and one was to take place in Denver. Crew change in Denver would then carry the plane on the way all the way to Seattle.
0: So that's why we said this is the crash crew.
1: Yes, this was the crash crew because the airplane originated with one crew, changed in Chicago, and then changed again in Denver.
3: Oh, they're all completely different crews. Different
1: crews, yep. yep. So this completely. is the
0: Denver crew. Yep. And where were we coming from again? I'm sorry. Chicago. LaGuardia. So LaGuardia to Chicago, Chicago to Denver. Yeah, so LaGuardia and is And Denver to Portland, Portland to Seattle. Gotcha. Yep. And was this like
3: a commercial?
1: This was, yes. yes. This was United Airlines, yep. Okay, okay. The new crew took the plane at Denver and arrived at the airport with plenty of time to prepare for the flight. The flight crew's prep for the flight was normal, and they were briefed on the weather conditions at the company office, as well as the forecasts for the route, which informed them that the Denver weather... Had a ceiling of ninety-five hundred feet MSL, so not not very high.
2: Like four thousand feet.
1: Yes, and it was overcast. Visibility was ten miles at the ground. Temperature was thirty-six. Dew point thirty degrees, so cold. Winds were southwest at five knots, so not very much wind. But altimeter was two nine which is actually very dense. It's much better than a normal day here in Colorado. We don't ever usually dip below three zero point zero zero which is high, That is, that's density would be very, very low. So this, tied with the overall forecast for their route, indicated that they would be on an instrument flight rules flight. So in other words, IFR, meaning that they would be flying entirely by instrument for their their flight. They wouldn't fly it visually. The rear cargo area was unloaded completely of the mail and luggage, which was all for Denver. It was then loaded with luggage and mail cargo to carry for the remainder of the trip to Seattle. The weight of the aircraft, after everything was loaded and added in Denver, was 91,746 pounds, which was 1,954 pounds less than the permissible gross takeoff weight. So, pretty heavy. Pretty heavy airplane, but could be worse. I believe our Northwest flight on the DC-4 was 10 pounds underweight. Something like that. Seven Got pounds. Not it close. Seven pounds under gross weight. This flight taxied to runway 8 right at Denver.
0: But this was at the old Stapleton Airport, not at Denver International. Which yes. is no longer there, right?
1: Yes, it's long gone. The it's tower's
0: where, there, but that's it.
1: Yeah, it's where like the Northfield Shopping Center is and all that now. At 6.44, the flight was in the run-up position where it was given its ATC clearance for the flight to Portland. So in other words, it was given all of its required routing all the way to Portland. This clearance included a compulsory check-in point along for them to check in with a the air traffic controller, as they were to cross over, cross through 18,000 feet, headed for their assigned altitude of 21,000 feet. So in other words, they would check in at their 18,000 feet crossing with air traffic control just to let them know where they were. The airplane then departed on runway eight right and reported their quote off time unquote to the company radio at 6:52 p.m. and then reported passing through the Denver Omni or omnidirectional radio frequency. Basically, it's a reporting point for Okay. Them. At 6.56 p.m. This was the last time that the plane would be heard from.
3: When did it take off?
1: At 6.52. So four minutes later, they reported over the Omni, and that was the last time they'd be heard from.
0: Bum, bum,
1: So very, bum. very shortly after takeoff. The airplane was flying over Longmont. It's a town just north of Denver. We know it here. It was flying over Longmont at approximately 7.03 p.m., so only a short time later. The airplane suddenly violently broke apart, and fell to the ground. All 44 on board perished in this crash. The Denver Tower controllers saw two white lights, one brighter than the other, appear in the sky north-northwest of the airport that appeared to fall to the ground. Both lights were observed for 30 to 45 seconds and seemed to fall at about the same speed to the ground. Radio calls were then made by all radio controllers in the area to see if any aircraft were in distress. All flights except United Flight 629 were accounted for. The wreckage of the aircraft was spread over a six-square-mile area, so massive area. Pieces of low-density wreckage, such as paper, were found up to nine miles away from the main wreckage site. That is far.
2: What caused that?
1: We'll, we'll get to that. into
2: it. <laughs> we're not just going to jump into it like that. We're going to
1: keep you in suspense.
2: Okay. Well, yeah,
3: but This I... is
1: going to take you for a ride. Just wait. <laughs> Many pieces of the aft portion of the fuselage were found dispersed in one specific area and appeared to have been shattered. Much of the fuselage and wings appeared to be torn apart before impacting the ground.
3: And I'm sorry, what part of the plane is that? The back. The back. The, back. the aft is the back. Yep. And it was smashed. The, the back shattered. was completely shattered. shattered yeah. Is what it appeared, appeared to, be. to happen before? Yes. yes. The yeah. whole
1: fuselage and the wings all tore apart. So In the body the of the airplane and the wings all appeared to be torn apart before impacting the ground. Hence the having six square yeah, mile area. Having
0: that large of an area with wreckage usually means, nowadays we know, it usually means that an aircraft broke up before it hit the ground. Gotcha. If it's
2: if it's all within a pretty, like if it's about the size of a football field, you know the plane was intact when it hit the ground.
0: And it, you can pretty much tell depending on the crash the, where the air Like where all the airplane is. Yeah. If you can't find it within, you know, the immediate space of the airplane, it's probably because it broke off at some point during flight. Gotcha.
1: And the age range on this flight was very wide. The victims ranged from 13 months to 81 years.
2: Jeez. Yeah. Numerous telephone calls soon began coming in from farmers and other residents near Longmont who reported loud explosions and fiery debris falling from the sky. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Yep. Don't yell at me.
1: <laughs> this this Conrad Hop, basically, he was a farmer who lived nearby, reported what he saw and heard, and then called his wife and said, "Call an ambulance, call the fire department, get him out here. Looks like there's an airplane crash."
3: Man, that would be crazy, or just like a Longmont farmer, and all of a sudden a plane just, just explodes and crashes like right next to your farm, like no big deal. No big deal. Nah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I would probably be a little traumatized. Yeah. Probably. And all
1: this happened, I mean, like 30, 40 miles from here.
0: Yeah. Back then, though, it was not as dense as it is now. There's like actual suburbs now in Longmont that probably weren't there when this happened.
2: I used to live really close to Longmont, and my babysitters used to live in Longmont, so I know the area pretty well. I
1: don't think... Well, no, I've been to the Longmont airport once, actually.
2: Wait, never mind. I know nothing. There's an airport in (laughs) Longmont.
1: Yes, there is. And actually, the one thing they're most known for in the Denver metro area is their skydiving operations.
0: Uh, Skydiving? They do skydiving there. That's cool. How about no? I
3: I used to live in Erie, which is pretty close. Gotcha. Okay. And so witness reports from farmers. And what time...
1: This was at 7.03.
3: 7.03, and they took off at, like... 6.52. Okay. So 6.52. So pretty soon after. This was only
1: 11 minutes later.
2: Gotcha. Okay.
3: This
1: was a very short time later.
2: So this investigation was performed by the Civil Aeronautics Board, or the CAB, which was the board that
0: preceded the NTSB. And before we continue, if you would like to view the report, you do have to get it from the Department of Transportation. Yeah.
1: We had to do that.
0: <laughs> you can... Like we've said before with other crashes, you Old can ones. get it. They will give it to you. It's you just, public knowledge. You, you just have to ask for it. Yeah. But I, if you've ever gone to the website and wondered why you can't get to it, you go to the, the like, CDOT website. That's why. Well, or just
1: to... the department of... Yeah, the dot. Yeah. Trans- dot. The dot.
0: Not C dot, but dot. And
1: you have to like make a registration, whatever. You have to sign yeah. up for it. And... So
2: I did all that. That's how we got this. Yeah. Anyways. You can too. Based on witness reports early in the investigation, the board knew they were in for a wild ride unlike any other investigation they had ever done before.
1: And unlike anyone we've ever done before.
2: Why? You might ask. Witnesses heard an explosion while the plane was still in the air, specifically a huge explosion. This, coupled with the weird smell of explosive residue, already led them to think that this was not a normal crash. Due to the wonderful weather conditions uh, known to Colorado, which we have talked about before. It was also
0: November, so it's cold.
2: Wonderful weather conditions. (laughs) This investigation had to move indoors, as it were, so further theories would have to wait. The wreckage was moved to a nearby warehouse where investigators began rebuilding the aft fuselage of the plane. Why that area, you might ask? That's where the explosive smell was the strongest and where there were a bunch of suspicious-looking soot smudges. The smell actually was very pungent on some of the remaining luggage and mail sacks from the baggage compartment. Now, imagine you were putting together this puzzle. Normally, when you put together pieces of a puzzle, they're all generally about the same size. What investigators were noticing was that the size of their puzzle pieces got smaller and smaller towards a certain area. What might be ascertained from this? The pieces got progressively smaller towards a point in the number four baggage compartment below the aft buffet and the left center and left of the center line of the airplane. And the pieces were smaller coming from all directions, which means that whatever caused this disintegration started here and was not a directed force, but rather just went outward. It was literally disintegrated? Yes. Yes.
1: From that point.
2: So went from bigger pieces to medium pieces to smaller pieces to nothing. There were pieces missing. That's a big yikes.
1: Yes, it yep. is. And <laughs> like it gets guys. even scarier from here.
2: <laughs> Whatever caused this went upward through the cabin floor, downward through the fuselage, backwards through the baggage compartment, and forward through the bulkhead. All at once. All at once. Like a zigzag? Yeah. Yeah. Metallurgists also examined these puzzle pieces, as it were, in this part of the plane and found no evidence of fatigue cracking. As we've discussed on this podcast before, the iconic footprint of fatigue cracking is straight edge cracking, which only occurs if the crack propagates over time. All of the edges of the pieces in this instance were jagged and rough, indicating that fatigue was not a player in this game. Which would be like a maintenance issue. Right. Yes. Yes. Investigators performed further tests and found no evidence of malfunctioning controls or structural failure. The propellers all had evidence of high-speed damage, indicating that they were more or less operating properly until the crash. Review of of United Airlines maintenance records as well as conditions of their other planes showed no evidence of maintenance failure. Allow me to emphasize this. There is nothing explosive inherently in this area of the plane. Do they not do, like, routine checks?
1: Absolutely. They did one in Denver.
2: Yep. Uh, So, totally normal. So all that remained was to send the pieces to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI. Ooh. Yep. Spicy. And the plot thickens. The plot thickens. (laughs) The FBI labs determined that the residue contained sodium nitrate, a key ingredient in dynamite. Wow. Another component yep. found was manganese dioxide used in dry cell batteries, which, when added to 11 other materials found, led them to agree that an ever-ready hotshot battery was used. The battery, plus the more obvious dynamite, led to the conclusion of an intentional explosion, explosive placed in the luggage that was in the number four baggage compartment.
3: Okay, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this question, but so that was one of the passengers'
2: belongings? Yes. You bet it was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know it. uh, Okay.
1: Things just get far rockier from here. Oh,
2: yeah. Great. All of the findings pretty much summarize everything I just said, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the probable cause. The board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the disintegrating force of a dynamite bomb explosion, which occurred in the number four baggage compartment.
1: So we know that this airplane was blown up. Intentionally. Yes. For the
2: first time ever.
1: So this was not only... Our first intentional crash. This is not
2: an accident. An
1: accident. This is our fir- the first time. This was not an accident on our podcast. This was also the first time in history ever, ever in
3: '95. Yeah, '55. '55. Oh gosh. Gotcha. Oh. oh, 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 oh gotcha. <laughs> in '55. In '55. Okay. So. Was like
0: customs not a thing? Then? Well, it wouldn't have gone through customs even if customs this was all wasn't a thing because it was a domestic flight.
1: But even then, TSA didn't exist. No. Yeah, that, this, that... really no. I mean, at the time, you could literally Metal detectors weren't a thing yet. No, you would walk up literally like you would. You would drive up to the airport, park your car, walk straight out on the ramp, hand the guy your bag. He'd throw it in the luggage compartment. You walk right on the airplane.
3: Oh my gosh! As long as you yeah. had a ticket
1: in hand. The only reason you had to go inside was to get, to buy the ticket.
3: Yep.
2: And other things, which we will talk about. Yes, we will. Yes. And
3: when did, like, commercial flying become a thing?
1: Really, commercial like flights... Like the 30s? Yeah, 20s. 20, okay. Believe it or not. 20s. Well, yeah,
0: because yeah, that's when airports started and, to become a thing and after really, being air bases. I think
1: the first commercial passenger was actually in the teens. Okay, so nice. more than 100 years ago, but... But this would have been when commercial aviation really picked up. Because during the war, everything stopped, basically. Aircraft manufacturers and all all flying airplanes, basically, were put in the war.
3: Were military.
1: Yes. So yeah. any airplane that was commercial was modified, put in the war effort, and sent overseas. And then when they came back, they were remodified, anything that didn't have bullet holes in it. And it's <laughs> <Recycle> true. <them. laughs> it's true. And they were all remodified back into airliners. Um, a lot of them were produced, of course, after the war, too. So I think that's this airplane true. would have been post-war. But, you know, a lot of that stuff, thats that's how it happened. And then go into the 50s and commercial aviation really kind of took off. It started going, you know, it was still kind of in the 40s into the mid-50s. It would have been more for the elite, the rich, those traveling, that really, you know, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. But then as you got more into the mid to late 50s, it started to vastly change. It started to become a lot more public. So at this time, it was still kind of the hoity-toity thing to do, to fly cross-country.
0: Right. Instead of taking a train or trying to drive.
1: Yes. So that's part of why it wasn't super restricted. There weren't a lot of people traveling. It wasn't super common, and the people that were traveling generally we're doing it for luxury purpose
0: and there was no reason for anyone to think that someone would intentionally blow up a plane
1: no i mean it really was like a a luxurious it's like how
0: kids used to play outside and talk to strangers because back then no one would think that someone would pick up a kid and kidnap them type thing
1: not to say it didn't happen
0: well yeah
1: break it break break it break.
0: And we're back,
2: I've been recording for a while. That's okay fine. cool.
0: <laughs> so what my part of the podcast is now is talking to you about what happened and why this plane was blown up. So we're going to talk about John or quote unquote, Jack Gilbert Graham. and you'll find out why in just a second. A so, bunch of people
1: that are into true crime probably just went oh yeah, <laughs> I know that name
0: It has been covered by and that's why we drink. and I will probably it's quote
1: that later on so by almost everybody. Pretty close. Did
0: you re-listen to the episode? I didn't, but I actually remembered stuff from the episode, so it didn't matter. But this is
1: so deeply also up our alley.
0: So. We're true crime junkies, real bad.
3: Me too. Which is why why I'm here. here.
0: (laughs) So Jack Gilbert Graham was born on January 23rd, 1932, in Denver, Colorado, obviously. He was born to Daisy Graham and her second husband. He was her second child to her second husband but her first with her second husband and she had a daughter with her first husband gotcha in 1937 jack's father died of pneumonia and because of the poverty that put them in daisy put him in an orphanage but kept her daughter Ooh, that's rough buddy yeah yeah so she claimed to say that she couldn't handle her five-year-old son But apparently could handle her daughter, which, by the way, did not give an age on her. So in 1941, Daisy, again, who was his mother, married her third husband, Earl King, who shortly died after their marriage, which makes me kind of curious because all three of her husbands died
1: shortly after being married.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's awfully convenient. Yeah. Uh, And this actually put her into great advantage because she had an inheritance from her husband which caused her to become a very successful businesswoman. However, despite her new wealth, she did not get Jack from the orphanage. They stayed estranged until 1954, which I'm assuming he came back to work in her restaurant, which is where she was a successful businesswoman. And it was said by many people who knew them that they were horrible. They had a horrible relationship. They continuously argued, uh, and she always had a better relationship with her daughter than she did with him. So, to give you some background about him, he was stuck in an orphanage for a long time, but he had a huge history of being a forger. At 16, he tried to forge documents so he could join the Coast Guard, only, I'm assuming, so he could get out of the orphanage. It's a good motive. Because it's kind of horrible when you get put in an orphanage when you're five. And really, your mom's still alive. And your mom's still alive. Your sister's still alive. No one comes to get you at all. Ever. They don't even come to visit him. Well, no wonder why he was uh, a little crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, when he was 19, he started forging checks and he spent about $4,000, which, by the way, is a lot more in our money than it was back then, on a road trip with said forged checks. Did he get away with it pretty often? Ironically, he was caught and his mother paid him out so that
2: Bailed he him would out. not.
0: Go to jail. Well, she paid his fees yes. so he wouldn't go to jail. She didn't bail him out because he never went to jail. So
2: $4,000 in 1954 is worth $38,000 today. Wow.
1: Yes. Pretty solid chunk of money.
0: He had also been convicted of illegal gun possession and bootlegging alcohol, because this is prohibition, mind you, or close to, into states that had prohibition, so illegal alcohol. Yeah. So, he stayed really estranged from her, like I said, until about 1954, which, by the way, he was 22 years old at the time. Had a horrible, horrible relationship with his mother. So, the day of the flight, he decided to go with her to the airport.
2: Oh, and they were going for the holidays and weren't bringing him.
1: Yeah. She was en route to Alaska to visit her daughter.
0: Oh, so her daughter now lived in Alaska. Who is Graham's half-sister. Right. Right, Right, because it was with her first husband. And so she was bringing presents and things with her. And he wasn't allowed to come. No. So he took her to the airport and convinced her to buy life insurance, which, until the 1980s, was sold at kiosks at the airport. Ah,
1: Yes, it was. You could buy it last minute before you got on an airplane. People were that afraid of flying, which, to be fair, things have changed so much.
0: And there was kind of a superstition that if you did it,
1: your you plane would not crash.
0: crash. Huh. So he convinced her to buy life insurance. Well, I'm sure that uh, I-
3: ideology behind it, like, helped him get her to actually buy it
0: because it was, like, lucky or whatever. Right. Yes. So he shipped her off on the plane and the plane exploded. Well, one of the presents that was in her luggage was actually the bomb uh. <laughs> that he made at home.
1: Wow, that, that present was the bomb. That he- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, he God. had disguised it as a present and put it in her suitcase. From him to his sister? I'm not sure. Didn't say. I just. Know I think that it was
2: from him to her, and he told her you cannot open, open it, it yet.
0: Yeah. And then it also was really heavy, so his mother actually had to pay extra money to get it on the plane. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yes. So he had convinced, eventually convinced her to buy the life insurance for his own gain because he got about close to $40,000 in life insurance from that. And it was close to $400,000 in today's time, which is a lot of money considering.
3: Gotcha. So uh, when I first started listening, I assumed that the person that blew up the plane was on the plane. And he but they were not.
0: was not. He hated his mother so much that he was willing to blow her up. Along with several other innocent civilians, so he could get a life insurance payout. Not only that, but the reason why I think they caught him was because he also set his mother's restaurant on fire to collect the one thousand two hundred dollars in insurance money after he blew up the plane. Like pretty shortly after. Yes. Wow.
1: That would pretty well do it. I was going to say, they were like, "That doesn't she send was up any red flags." On the or plane,
0: anything. and he also wanted to collect money on this. So my assumption would be that they put two and two together and went, uh...
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but also, because the bomb was timed, he had actually rushed her to the airport late...
0: Oh, yes, he did. Yes. Purposefully
1: so, making her think that they were just running behind. Right. But he had actually done it for timing.
0: Well, not only that, but he actually meant for the bomb to go off over the Rocky Mountains, mm-hmm. not Longmont. But because the plane was delayed by 11 minutes, it went off 11 minutes before it was initially supposed to. Wow, so, so he really thought this one he through. He thought this yes. one out. So he thought
3: if it... So I was going to say, what would he gain by it exploding over the mountains? You can't find you can't
0: a lot find it. harder back to figure then, out what it's happened. a lot harder not only to find the wreckage, but also to be able to figure out what happened. Because if it exploded over a, a long period of of time, or um, space, excuse me, it would be harder to find the fragments to put them back together to figure out how the plane also, crashed. Also,
1: you figure if it happened over a city, there's witnesses. And if it happened over the mountains, it's a lot less then likely who knows that,
0: what actually happened. that people right.
1: actually saw it blow up.
0: And it would probably have taken, depending, because of the day, and they didn't really have radar back then, et cetera, et cetera, there wouldn't have been any nuance that this plane crashed until it didn't arrive at Portland. And at that point, they wouldn't know where it crashed. So right. that might've been part of it too, is him trying to make sure that it never was found but it, unfortunately the plane was running 11 minutes late and so it exploded over Longmont instead of the mountains Wow devious
1: And not only had the restaurant been lit on fire, it had actually exploded
0: Yeah, it had a gas explosion
1: quote unquote it mysterious a mysterious gas explosion mysterious
3: so he, <laughs> he tried to make it look like there was like a gas leak and nobody knew about right. it
1: right but he had just taken out an insurance policy on that.
0: And he collected. So investigators put two and two together and eventually went,
1: Mmm, this isn't right. Something's suspicious.
0: And he was eventually arrested. Like I said, I don't know exactly how they caught him. I think he was probably just thinking no one would ever have thought that someone would do something like that. He probably wouldn't have gotten caught. Obviously, he did. So during the trial, he did not show any signs of remorse and stated he felt no guilt from killing the 44 people including his mother even though his primary target was his mother
1: so obviously something was mentally very wrong with him
0: well i think i mean would when you got dropped off at five in an orphanage by a mother who wasn't dead right and then never picked back up even though she had the money to get him i mean come on i would be pretty pissed off too i mean
1: he was only slightly better Sure. Only, but, only slightly. Sure, but that doesn't mean you need to go blow up an airplane over it.
0: I mean, maybe not for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. You can
1: still be a good human being. I'm just saying, like well, he you can be angry mad. about it, but you can also like
3: well, one move thing, on with your life. I was gonna say one thing that I don't understand is why didn't he just like be his own person and like why did he even go back to his
0: mom? You know? I think it's because he was having a hard time just functioning as a human being, obviously. Because she bailed him out a well, few years earlier, right? forging checks, and he well, never really got a job until he went and worked for his mom. I'm assuming he worked for his mom.
1: And obviously money was a thing for him. Obviously, obviously, because he was forging checks, and then he went on to do all this insurance fraud. Well, and right. it might
0: have been because he was put in the orphanage because I mean, of low funds. I mean, it was during the Great Depression, so...
1: And a big part of that was, like, I'm sure, you know, he felt like he was owed something.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But still, I mean... Yeah, it was it was a no, brain, no bueno, no bueno, no bueno. Uh, he was convicted of killing his mother since blowing up an aircraft was not illegal at the time. Oh my god! Yeah,
1: so this is Fun probably fact. this is probably the craziest thing out of all of this to me. He blew up an airplane, but that wasn't illegal, so they couldn't charge him. Yeah. So Th- obviously, this the first that time, this was the first time this had ever happened. Nobody even really put a thought to it, but it happened. And so, and they're like, and the, like they were like, okay, he has to be charged for something in this. <laughs> has to be charged with something in this. So, so he was the charged...
0: justice system is like, huh, crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So he was charged with the murder of his mother because premeditated. It, they murder. figured out that he, it was premeditated. It obviously. was
1: aimed at her, and unfortunately, they couldn't do anything about the rest of the people that that died, died. In the crash.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. But he was convicted and sentenced to death. He was executed by the state of Colorado in 1957 via cyanide gas. Ooh! Yeah. He had to inhale the gas for 11 minutes before it killed him. Oh no! Is that is that painful? I That's, have
1: no idea. It was quite the time.
0: They uh, obviously do not long any longer do that, but I'm reading just some other things on the Wikipedia page. The trial that followed
2: resulted in Colorado becoming the first state to officially sanction the use of television cameras to broadcast criminal trials, which I thought the first time was during the Ted Bundy murders. No,
0: this was the first televised criminal case.
1: Yes. Now, it might have been only local. Yeah. I
0: was going to say, like, ever or... Probably just local. But this was,
1: I mean, this was a big deal nationwide, too. I mean, like...
3: Right, because I mean, nobody a, had ever thought this was a big deal
1: around the world. Like, like an airplane that. Right. blew up on purpose because somebody did it. Like the whole world was kind of like, "Whoa, wait, that happens."
0: He it said uh, on a website that I did some of my research on, which the source will be on the website. But it said that he had gotten the idea from someone blowing up a car to murder someone else, and he was like, "Well, why don't I blow up an airplane?" Uh, same thing. Uh, oh, God. He did build the bomb by himself. Made out of dynamite, obviously, and he did mean for it to blow up over the Rocky Mountains, so that it probably would not. It would have been harder to get to the wreckage than it would have otherwise. Devious. And
3: if this happened today, would that not be considered an act, uh,
0: an act of terrorism? Yes, it would. Oh, yes, definitely an act of terrorism. Wow. However, back then, even like prior to nine eleven, something like that. Consider, I mean, the U.S. just couldn't even think of something to be like that as terrorism. After 9-11, any bombing of a plane would probably be viewed as terrorism until proved otherwise. Because of what happened during 9-11. Right. So, but the point being is this never really happened until this happened. <laughs> and everyone was like, that's a thing? Like, who would do that? Obviously, he had some horrible horrible sick delusions. Yeah. And hated his mother enough to want to kill her and then get the money that he convinced her to purchase. Well, what I am most horrified by is that he didn't care about all the other passengers. Oh no, he he had no remorse whatsoever for anyone on that plane. He was like the quote was like they spent their time or they did their time and You know, they did what they did and that they ended up on that plane and it exploded. Like, he just... So he basically just boiled it down to bad luck. Bad luck and, like, an act of God. Like, they were there. Oh, well. That's what happened. And I think that's what probably caused the jury to be, like, guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please please get rid of this man. (laughs) I mean, being that mistreated from that young of an age... One
2: of the podcasts we listen to actually has a bingo sheet for serial killers. And one of them is like, yeah, bad childhood. Yep. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want Unless wanna... they're like sociopathic, I guess, or
3: psychotic. Because then I feel like the childhood doesn't necessarily have to play a part.
1: I mean, the childhood definitely played a part in this, I would say. But yeah, he definitely had something else going on. My guess would bad. be
0: he was a sociopath. I I have not found any kind of research to back that up, to be fair, but my guess would be due to his lack of remorse and the fact that he just did this for money and it was his own mother and he didn't care about anybody else on that plane would be sociopathic tendencies, if not psychopathic, but it, nah, it it's like borderline. If you want to know more about that side of things, there is a podcast we listen to that we've mentioned before and that's why we drink. Do you remember the episode?
2: Episode 87, I believe.
0: So, if you go listen to the, that episode of theirs, I took some of what I got from my research from that. They talk about a lot about him and his delusions and what happened to him when he was younger, even more detail than we do here. And they do a great job with it. It's
2: the name of horrible. the episode is Paranormal Fun Facts and Your Sister's Pony. <laughs> nice. They because don't make sis- sense. <laughs> uh his half sister had a pony.
0: Yes. She gotcha. got a lot, uh, she was spoiled a lot and he got nothing, which is another reason why he was like, yeah, I'm just going to kill my mom <laughs> and about 43 other people. So there you go. Fun. Yeah, that
1: one was a rough ride, a very different take for our podcast, well, that's, that's for sure.
3: Well, that's crazy that it happened
0: in Colorado, too. Yes. Tis local.
1: Represent or something. Uh, no. Fun bad. fact,
0: he is in an unmarked grave. Oh. However... Where? he is close to where his mother is buried said like fairmont or fremont denver cemetery something like that, that it's familiar. on the it's on the wikipedia page that i'll have on the website but it is unmarked there is like some sites that you can go to th- where you can probably find it there's like a gravefind.com type thing or whatever if you really feel into it but they did do an unmarked grave i'm assuming so that people didn't
3: like, make pil- up. pilgrimages. Yeah. Like, how there are people that do things on, like, the Columbine um, anniversary. People that, like, look up to people like that.
2: Right. Yeah. There was a serial killer named, the uh, serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes. He requested that his body be encased in concrete so that no one would desecrate his body the way he desecrated his victims. Wow.
0: Yeah. So... <laughs> He is buried from what I saw of my research close to his mother where she is laid in that cemetery but like I said his grave is unmarked I'm assuming like we said before so people wouldn't just dig him up and you know who knows what I'm assuming a lot of people were very angry about this especially you know about the other 44 pa- or 43 passengers on board yeah, well, yeah like you said one grew. of them was like a 13 month old
3: yeah
1: 13 month old
3: yeah ridiculous Yep. If I were, well, I'm I'm assuming the mother was probably on the plane as well, but I don't know, any of the survivors, like, I'm sure would be absolutely furious about that.
1: Yes. Or the and families of the people yeah, on yeah. the plane. And yeah. there's just nothing they could That's do about I mean. it, unfortunately. Yes. Legally, so, there was nothing they could do. And so, the, of course, immediately after this,
0: <laughs> the there was a law.
2: The Fairmount Cemetery is off of Alameda in Quebec.
0: Yeah. So if you want to go, I don't know where you are going to be able to find it, but. Like I said, it's close to where his mother... His mother's name is Daisy. It's also not that far from Stapleton. Uh, they, like I said before, they stopped doing the life insurance thing in the 80s. Probably a good thing because aviation became safer at that point. Although it didn't become truly, truly super safe until... At least in the United States until about the mid-2000s. But Well, that's relatively recent. <laughs>
3: yes.
0: Yes, but there hasn't been... A true hull-loss crash of a plane since 2009. And we covered that in our Colgan Air episode. That was the last one.
1: Yeah, in the United States with a U.S. carrier.
0: Yeah,
2: U.S. carrier. We did another hull-loss two weeks ago now.
0: That was not U.S., but a U.S. carrier um, has not... There have been incidents with uh, U.S. carriers like Southwest, but... There haven't been huge hole losses and crashes by U.S. carriers in the United States since 2009. So, a little over 10 years, which is good. This, now, of course, nowadays we have metal detectors and people go through, uh, if you have carry-on luggage, people do go through your carry-on luggage. If you've ever found that you have a missing bottle of alcohol <laughs> from your carry-on luggage, someone who was looking through your carry-on luggage took it. Yep. So... They do look at all carry-ons. They do look at all checked luggage. You do have to go through metal detectors. So this, especially in this form, like dynamite would never happen again. (laughs) Ever. Ever.
1: Oh man, it is so different now.
0: There are bombs that have gone off on planes since then, but in the United States now, especially, it would be almost impossible.
2: And we will probably cover more in the
0: future. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Maybe like we'll the,
0: the the the
2: Well, I I have
3: had a lot of fun. I actually will probably yeah for more yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> this is it's a lot more fun once you actually do it. I mean it, it's so.
3: Well, I I normally ask them a lot of questions, <laughs> so it's I feel like I'm pretty good for the role of
1: yes Gist. yes you ingest information well.
0: <laughs> and thanks again to Mike for requesting this episode. We like we said be had other plans for this that fell through but we're very glad we got to actually do one that we haven't done before yeah that is something intentional new. yeah so if you have any other recommendations for something like this let us know we have quite a few like i said a, the panem that exploded um, we'll get that
1: eventually.
0: eventually there's a whole bunch of other ones that are intentional are intentional like that hijackings if, There's one hijacking in particular
2: that makes Miranda really mad.
1: So congrats. (laughs) Eventually I'll cover that one. So congrats. You've unlocked a new category. They won't be that common because they aren't that common. Not like our other...
0: Not like our other ones, All of our
1: other ones. And that is still our main focus because, to be honest, they're a lot easier to investigate because we just have a single report usually. Versus this one, which had one seven-page report and then a lot of other information elsewhere. (laughs) Supplemental
0: data from other stuff. Yeah. So have a great week. We hope you stay healthy and stay safe. smart and safe. And make sure to, you know, give us feedback. We we Recom- like
2: it when you talk to us.
0: Recommend stuff. Whatever. Yeah. Thanks for those of you who continuously do that. <laughs> There's
1: a few of We you. actually really appreciate it. It's really fun <laughs> interacting with you guys. Like, some of you guys, like... Thanks for doing my recommendation. Here's six more. (laughs) We're like, okay. (laughs) We'll put those on the schedule somewhere. We've gotten so many recommendations anyway. I mean, almost the entire schedule is built on We
2: have a couple openings in September, and then we have two planned for October,
0: and then we're pretty much free.
1: Okay, good. Well, we're getting there. Recommendations usually fill in quite a bit, so...
0: Thank you again for listening, continuing to listen, and being patient with us when we're trying to figure out all our technical issues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything's all
2: right. <laughs> Everything's fine.
0: And if you have any questions, like I said, make sure you email us, contact us on Facebook, etc. We'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Usually, it's probably me because I don't have to work right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you or talk to you next week. Yeah, that <laughs> keep saying see you. It's not a thing. Okay, ready?
1: Do you know? Wait, the, do, you know the wait
0: thing? do you know the thing? No. It's keep your keep, speed up. Keep your speed up. Okay. On three. Keep, keep your
2: speed up. <laughs> Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard
0: Landings Podcast, and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Also, subscribe and leave us a five star review on whatever platform you're using to listen.
1: If you want to see photos and sources for this episode please visit us at Heartlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
0: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy.
1: Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
2: And our logo is by Naomi. And our social media is coordinated by Sonora.
1: Catch
0: you next time.